Hey guys, today on the podcast, we have Eve Sturgis. She's recently remarried and she was a single mom and she is a fantastic writer for Cosmo and a bunch of other uh, sites. And she's got a website called magpielife.com. We talked to her about being a single parent, about identity changing once you are married again. Yeah, it's a a cool talk. We talk about school counseling and the issues they're dealing with there. And also we talk about oversharing talking too much and oversharing and not saying enough sometimes so let's dive right in hi hello i feel like this podcast is all the many ways in which you can say hi hi Hi, 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 hi. We do, I do that a lot. I, I like do that one. a lot with Serena. Hi. I, I like the one you said when we were, yo, yo, yo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Hello, listeners. Hello, everybody. Um, you guys have written us such nice comments. I know. I was just going to jump into that. iTunes. This one made me feel so good. Okay, the title is My Version of a Mommy Group. As a working mama, I have a limited amount of time to spend with other moms, but this connection is something I crave. Listening to Atomic Moms makes me feel like I'm a part of an amazing mommy group. Ellie and Bianca lovingly share the ups and downs of mamahood in a fashion that most women wouldn't be comfortable or confident with. However, their honesty is needed and appreciated. And we didn't even pay her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so, that's awesome to hear. I mean, it is, you know, it's like, we talked about on last week, at the end of last week's episode, you know, about sharing and oversharing. And I mean, it is hard. Like, you know, I'm a little bit more used to it because my husband is in radio and I'm, I, I got a crash course in. I mean, he talks about everything. Everything. Like things that I won't even allude to on our podcast. (laughs) And it, you know, it's honestly really helped me because I I remember when we were first dating, I, I was just like shocked, like, oh my God, people can't know this, you know, I can't, especially like being an actor and being out there. And, um, and then you just realize like, who cares? I mean, really, I I understand like if you, somebody's feelings get hurt or whatever, that's a, that's a big deal. And there's relationships to protect. And I get that. But like, you know, I mean, really, he always says like, if it's helpful to other people, then who am I to stand in the way of? Uh, But he's like, oh, but that's interesting. Because I feel like my therapist would have a field day with him for saying that. Because if really? it helps other people, who am I to stand in the way? I'd say, if it helps other people, that is wonderful. But, but one should also protect themselves. But that's but he doesn't. But he doesn't care. That's the difference. He doesn't. There's no. He, he, right. he has no shame. He has no guilt. He has no. That he he always says like. I remember when we were first dating, and I would tell him stories about like things that I had done that I was like a little bit shameful of, you know, in my mm-hmm. past and. I said to him at one point, I was like, it makes me feel so good. Like I've dated other guys that made me feel bad about things that I would tell them. And he's like, who am I to judge? I was a hardcore drug addict. Like who right. am I going to stand in judgment of, you know? And so I think for him, like he's gotten to the bottom, he's hit the bottom of the barrel and he's dealt with some really, really dark things. And I think it, he just doesn't care what anybody thinks anymore, you know? I mean, I'm curious about the process of recovery and how much that allows people to sort of really just put it all out there because the other people I know that have been in recovery have definitely like shared everything with the world because they're sort of like there's nothing to lose like this is who I am this is my truth like I've like I wonder what that 
processes that allows people to sort of unwind in that way. Well, and I think you have to ask yourself too, like something that's important, um, you know, and doesn't necessarily say, like doesn't necessarily point to the fact that you should be telling things or not telling things right now. But it's just interesting to see the, the, um, oh my God, the the, uh, intention behind it is, you know, are you, are you uncomfortable saying certain things because of other people that it implicates and you worry about your relationships or are you uncomfortable about saying things because you're protecting it and it's something raw and tender that you don't want people to know about you. Mm. And in both cases, by the way, you are under no obligation to ever say anything. I mean, nobody is. I I feel like everybody should be able to keep the things they want to keep to themselves and tell the things they want to tell. And for Mike, you know, and now subsequently me, uh, I just don't care. Like, I I mean, you know, there's things that I would have been really embarrassed to talk about earlier on in my career and, and in my life. And I just, there's something very freeing for me about being an open book. Somebody's at the door. We'll be right back. (laughs) So there was this uh, story that I shared um, on a blog that I had. Well, I still have the blog. I just don't write on it anymore. It's like once what's, a, a, what's the name of the box year, so people can uh, look it up? It's called the space in between, but I think it's still at my old. I don't know. I'll put. I up, think I'll the link is still on Twitter. Yeah, the link is on my Twitter in my Twitter um, bio. And actually, I've intended upon writing on it again. But I. So my mom did. Um, she decided to do. 365 walks a walk every day and blog about it and then my sister did 365 runs so she did a run every day and blog about it and so I decided to do 365 sits and blog about it so I I um and in the beginning I I was really good about it and then I just petered off at the end how how many days did you get in do you think um, I, I think I did the sit all the sits that year I just didn't I just didn't blog about every single one and how long were the sits by the way at that point, I think I was doing 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. Wow. So it was very zen. And and I, I enjoyed it, but I had a lot of time back then. I was mm-hmm. newly divorced and searching for myself and, you know, I like had all this time. But anyway, one of the blog posts I wrote about a very personal experience I had uh, with a really bad um, drug uh, trip out and how it threw me into this whole anxiety, crazy Mm -hmm. depression thing um, for many years come. And I had to actually drop out of college and it was very, very personal. And I remember like before I hit send to put that up on Mm -hmm. the blog, I like had a little bit of a panic attack because I was like, is this too much to tell people? And the next day it was like all of these comments of like, thank you for sharing your story. I just like, it's so similar to mine and it's so nice to hear about somebody who's come out on the other end. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember that at the time when I was going through my anxiety depression, I was like, I would read magazines to try and find just someone. I mean, also because I'm ancient and like there wasn't a lot of people blogging on the internet at that time in my life. So it wasn't like as easy to go find other forums or things like that. But um, yeah, so you know, that's the oh, the openness, I well, think. I think that's what I loved so much about that commenter, that she said that 
That yeah. She said that we talk about stuff that most women wouldn't be comfortable or confident with. I mean, I definitely read that and had a moment of like, oh God, what are we saying that other people wouldn't be comfortable well, saying? And then I was like, yeah, go us. Like, that's awesome. And I think, but I think that's the, the, the thing about being moms too, though, is like you have this weird idea and maybe social media is not helping it where you feel like everyone else is getting it right and you're not, you know? It's like when we had our mom group, um, Ellie and I have this great mom group that we, that just started a, a couple months ago. And the first night there, I was looking around at all the moms and I was like, oh man, like she's probably such a great mom and she probably has her shit together and she probably has this, this, this. And then we went around the circle and everyone told their problems. I was like, oh, yeah, we're all good. in it together. So I think yeah. like, you know, it, it's true. I think everyone's like really trying to make a, you know, a big thing about how like with, you know, especially Instagram and stuff is everyone's pictures look so pretty and perfect. And it's really easy to think that everyone's having such a good time of it. And we are. But we're also having a shit time of it, yeah. too, at the same time. So I'm so excited about our guest today. Yes. Eve Sturges is this fantastic – blogger seems like the wrong word. She's a writer, but you can find most of her things online. But for some reason, blogger doesn't – it's, like, not enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't have enough, like, weight to it. Yeah. Eve is a storyteller, and she really shares her own life, and she has no issues – with telling it the way it is. Well, I thought for a like second you were about to say no issues. I'm like, well, then no we can't have her on this boring. podcast. No, 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 no. I'll read her little bio real fast. Yes, please. Okay, so Eve lives in LA with her t- with her teenage daughter and brand new super nice husband. With a master's degree in counseling psychology, Eve is working towards therapist licensure and is developing her own life coaching program inspired by her lo- blog, The Magpie List. Um, her writing can be found at places like Rookie, Feminist, Trope, magazine and clean plates and also cosmopolitan and she writes about being a single mom and about getting remarried now and like the identity shift with that having a daughter growing up in LA um, and she was really young when she got pregnant and she shares it all and it's so awesome to read and I feel like she like whenever I read her work it's like sneakily emotional for me (laughs) because the way she writes it seems like it's very I don't, it's like, it's just out there. It's funny, but it's not, it never feels like she's trying too hard. It just seems like she's speaking honestly the from truth. her gut. Yeah. And then it like at the end, there's always like this sneaky moment where I'm like, is that a tear like welling up in the corner of my eye? So we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we will have our special guest, Eve Sturges. Welcome Oh, hey. Thanks for having me, ladies. Um, Okay, wait. I just want to read the titles of a couple of your recent Cosmopolitan writings, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, 15 Things Not to Say to a Single Mom. 15 Things You Should Know Before Dating a Single Mom. Um, Those are two really great ones. We'll put up a bunch of your work. But the the piece of writing that made me go, oh, my God, we have to have Eve on was your um was your piece from February of this year called When Marrying Means Losing Your Identity as a Single Mother. Oh. And it's uh everyone loves an underdog. So can we talk about that? We can talk about whatever you want. Let's jump in with that. I want to talk about the identity crisis of not being a single mom anymore now that you're remarried. Yeah. Um yeah it was really it was really weird and it took a long time for me to sort of wrap my head around what it was that I was feeling and being able to put words to it. Kind of, 
I think, and I, I write about this a lot, but sort of, um, I think a lot of us are always searching for the the thing that makes us feel like we're unique and not necessarily in a good way, but why we're the outsider or why we don't fit in or why something will never happen. And And so for me, I think it was an easy card to play that it was that I was a single mom. So whether it was things I could achieve because I was a single mom or things I couldn't achieve because I was a single mom, that just became a really big part of, of who I was and sort of imagining my life, I don't, like as a movie <laughs> and, you know, and like... Don't we all? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is a movie, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and maybe we live in LA, but, um, yeah. but imagining that I was, there was something special about being the Jennifer Lopez single mom um, in Made in Manhattan. I don't yeah. know where that came from. It made sense in my mind. Um, what I love is when you wrote, uh, we faced life in Los Angeles as a superhero duo who ate boxed tomato soup from Trader Joe's and made special trips to McDonald's for ice cream sundaes with extra hot fudge. The trick is to ask them to put a pump of sauce in the bottom before the ice cream. We actually just did that, and they didn't understand about the fudge at the bottom, and it was really <laughs> devastating. <laughs> she didn't even she didn't know what fudge was. That was the problem. As I said, we'll get two hot fudge Sundays, and she, bless her heart, only understood them as chocolate, and it became a big oh my uh oh became a big ordeal. <laughs> um, and then you say the truth is, letting go of my single motherhood might mean that I have to admit and accept that my life is pretty wonderful, mm. and that I'm not the underdog anymore. Just as my life is moving in one direction, the lives of people around me are also changing. A number of our friends are divorcing, and others are pregnant for the first time. Roles have flipped, and I'm trying not to feel guilty. See, people, this is really good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so was there... I did write that. It's true. Was there a moment when, in preparation for the wedding, where you realized, like, oh, I do need to give over more, like, weight or responsibility to my fiancé, where you were, like, where that burden was lifted? Do you know, like, when I get a massage, or when I've gotten a massage in the past, they'll be like, give me your arm. No, 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 give me your arm. And I'm like, I'm giving you my, I'm, and they're like, no, you're holding your arm up. Like, please release <laughs> yeah. and give the other, give me your weight. Oh, I, I'm still adjusting to that all the time, especially um, being pregnant now. And I did, wasn't, I was pregnant before with a partner, um, but we were very young and... You were 24? I was 22. 22. And that isn't as so freakishly young to have a baby, but it's more about where I, mean, I was in life. To me, I in got California, pregnant. it's very yeah. young. <laughs> in metropolitan areas, it's very young. I was in college with absolutely no plans. So it was very young and, and I was unmarried. And so to have a partner that wants to come to the hospital with me just for mm-hmm. the checkups, just to like go to the doctor is really wild. And he wants to make decisions with me. And the other, there was a a slight complication that has involved a lot of like medication discussions with doctors. And I would, I kind of just don't want to do that. But he, he really like had opinions about it. And I was like, oh, you actually care. Oh, this is your child. Oh, okay. So yeah, all around that kind of stuff. And then also just the ability to He's very willing to hang out with my kid if I want to go do something and all of that. I mean, he's a darling man. He's really wonderful. Yeah, he's he really, is. really wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it's always an adjustment still for me to do that. 
And what was it like telling your daughter that you were that she was going to have a younger sibling? Um, pretty funny because Wait, how old is she? She just turned twelve. Okay, but wow. she is like a real whippersnapper. <laughs> and um, so so backstory: her dad now lives in on the East Coast, and he was remarried and has had a daughter. So she has a little sister who's a baby who's a year and a half, and they're now divorcing, and he has a new girlfriend. So there's like a lot of stuff going on in that department and she's still at an age when she really she still really worships him so keeping that in mind we were like so um we you know we have something to tell you and she was like you're pregnant (laughs) (laughs) and and we were like yeah and she was like oh i've been through this before and we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm only, you know, six weeks pregnant, so we don't want to tell my mom and dad yet, or we're not. She's like, I know, I know. <laughs> I, look, let me guess. Next, you're going to say you love me just the same. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, and then, because how many months after getting married did you tell her? that you were having a child or like, cause this, this has all been within like yeah, a year and It's half, been right? sort of like a transitional whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. I experienced that in third grade with my stepmom and dad, like getting, you know, they get married and then they have their, the net, you know, my little brother and you're like, well, it's a lot at once. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got pregnant like within a week of the wedding. So it was like wham, bam. Yeah. It was like, we got married in January and we're telling you in March. And she gets along with your Oh your my god, husband. they're closer than and oh. yeah, that's oh, yeah. awesome. It's she likes him way more than me. Really? Yeah. In it's a, a w- different way. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, but then we had all these complications with the pregnancy and it sort of became a iffy situation. Um and there was a day where like we were gonna find out the sort of some of the final facts about it. And she went into dance class and she knew I was going to get the phone call while she was in dance class. And she went to dance class and I got the phone call. And then she she came out and was like, did they call? Did they call? And I was like, yeah, come on, let's get in the car and we'll call my husband at the same time. And um, because he he was working on a show in Canada. So we'll FaceTime him. So we're on the FaceTime and I'm like, well, there's good news and there's bad news. And the good news is the baby's totally fine. Everything's great. The bad news is... The baby is a boy. <laughs> and she just totally night and day, just like so excited, has never had a boy. She's had a sister, yeah. right. but she's never had a boy. And yeah. she has this one boy cousin, and she feels like that makes her a professional at boys, and she's going to totally help me, and her and Kaylin know all about boys. That's my husband. And um, so it's been – so well, ever since then, she's been – Really excited. It's probably nice for her because she feels like it's she's still special because she's the girl. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that that there's an element to yeah. that that I just hadn't considered. Oh, with yeah. being an actress in Los Angeles as a single mama, like you moved to LA as a single by yourself mm-hmm. as a mom, mm-hmm. following your dreams. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? Yeah, it's yeah because I'm curious <laughs> about. You know, were there people that were like, you need to, like, 
because it feels to, to I feel like it would be a difficult thing if you have a child by yourself like the weight and responsibility of that and then to come out here to like how did you have the courage to do what you knew you should be doing instead of what other people might say like you need to stay closer to your parents or I don't know or even just the uncertainty of right. I mean I know for me I moved here when I was you know 21 years old and I was could be selfish and be an asshole and like I, nobody depended on me so you were doing this with someone who very much depended on you and um and in a place that's not very kind um to single people, let alone people who have responsibilities. Yeah. Um, yes, all, all of the above. Um, I so when I I I had my baby and was with her uh, father, and for a very short time, and then ended up with my parents in Northern California, and then um, and it was a kind of typical story. I worked at a restaurant in my small little hometown. We lived in the basement of my parents' house, which is a nice finished basement, but um, <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> um, it's true. Um, and I just, the feeling that this couldn't be the end of my story was just sort of burning inside me. That'd be the way I would describe it. And I knew, I just knew I couldn't stay there. And it's a beautiful small town, but there's not a lot there for you if you don't have a very specific um, profession. And most of those are like tech professions. We're near San Francisco. So um, I don't. And and then the other, so that was sort of what was driving me. And then the, the things that made it possible were that I had no idea what I was getting myself into, <laughs> yeah. which is, <laughs> I write about that a lot. Like I had no, I just had no idea, but I knew I couldn't be there. Um, so how did you find your first apartment? I just, I Craigslist. Okay. I called. So you were like, I'm going to Craigslist. This. Yeah. And I had some friends down here. So I like came and visited a few times with them and stayed with them. And, um, someone told me like, oh, you would really like this neighborhood. So I just only Googled that neighborhood to look for places or Craigslist or whatever. Um, and so it's like, I f and then someone said, you probably, you could probably afford this much. And I didn't even sit down and figure out how much I could afford or how much I could make. I just was like, okay. So was it hard that. for your parents to let it was really your, hard. their grandbaby yeah. they go were down not, to LA? Yeah, they were not happy. And people were very sort of s s cautiously supportive. I think nobody told me this is a really bad idea or do you have no idea what you're doing? But people were like, okay, well this small town will always be here <laughs> and your parents will always, you know, my parents were like, you can always come back. Um, but I never went back. I just, um, and I've kind of scraped and scrappled and hustled and, um, but acting in itself didn't never really came to fruition. And that has been, that has felt like an incredibly organic just mm -hmm. development of my life. It's what, it's what, drove me then I think now actually 10 years later I am so much more comfortable with myself I'd be a better actress now than I ever would have been yeah, 10 years ago but um but yeah it turned into other things it turned into writing mm -hmm. and it turned into storytelling and um it turned into some really crazy weird YouTube experiences with people that I met um but I never participated in the traditional Los Angeles auditioning scene and I ha I know single parents that do it and they um I don't quite know how they do it, but I, it, they, you know, this, a 
for anybody that doesn't know, a lot of auditions happen in Santa Monica and we live on the east side and they would go and pull their kids out of school every single time they got an audition because driving that far, you know, yeah, goes past be the able to get school time. So pick them up and that kind of stuff. And I just was always like, no way. Yeah. I can't. I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. no way. So what did you do at first when you first moved down here? What was your first job? I worked at a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, and I had a I had a friend who worked at a at a um super high-end flashy fancy famous restaurant and they were opening like a new one. So she got me an interview and was like just dress sexy, you'll be fine. <laughs> and I got that job and then, Did it feel like did it feel like a dual life? Like you're yes. like, I have to dress sexy and be young. And then you're like, no, but I have a child that I'm responsible yeah. for. It felt like a double life, but it didn't feel like a double life as much as when people just couldn't believe I had a daughter. Mm. Like, and I just didn't, it never occurred to me that that was weird or unusual right. or different. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, you know, yeah, we were all very young. And um, I love it. in one of your writings, I feel I sound like a stalker now, but you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned that when you got pregnant that you, and I'm paraphrasing this, so please correct me, but that you felt like disappointing your mother was not enough of a reason not to keep your baby. Right. And that, that what else did you say in that thing? I feel like it was was really powerful. Yeah. I mean, I was still young enough to be worried about my mom being mad at me. I think I that would pregnant. have been the first thought I would have had. Like, oh, my man, parents. my mom is going to be so pissed. Um, yeah, and that was about as that was about as much thought as I gave to an abortion. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that's not really a good enough reason <laughs> for an abortion. My mom will get over it. Um, Can you talk about that for a minute about the, um, cause I, I'm clearly it wasn't planned the pregnancy. Correct. And so what, I mean, I, I think it's just an interesting, you know, here we are on a show that talks a lot about trying to get pregnant and when's the right time. And, you talk about getting pregnant when it's not necessarily the right time and what feelings you felt then at, at that time. I mean, it must have been a very scary, open kind of, you know, whatever that. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, um, it was actually not scary because I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. Just like, <laughs> like, like, that's a really common theme for me. And I, I actually just wrote about that. Um, a lot of people come to me with with questions about pregnancy about when they get pregnant they're like how did you know and how did you decide and these are all the things I'm struggling with and I've also been used as an example I've been held up as an example of like somebody that that is pro-life in a or made a pro-life decision and um it just wasn't as simple it wasn't as complex as that it was much more simple than that and um I just sort of had this idea that if I got pregnant I would have the baby <laughs> and um and because i i was naive and optimistic and i felt like that was maybe the righteous thing to do um although it wasn't a religious decision at all and so it was it was scary it was scary but it was it's i don't know how to explain it very well but it was so it was so real there wasn't a and to me the decision to just have the baby was so fast that I'm not sure that I thought I felt much more about it. Right. In in the sense of like, this is, it's happening. So I just wasn't questioning around it. Like, well, it's I don't, a, I'm sorry that I'm not being no, real no, eloquent no, about no. it. But I, I, I 
actually think I actually think you really hit on something because I feel like uh, certainly two very different scenarios. But I remember when my dad, my dad was very sick my whole life, and then he uh, he ended up actually falling and hitting his head, and that's how he died. And it was like this whole life of drama of his heart's going to give out, his heart's going to give out, and all of a sudden it was like he got dizzy and fell because the medication he was on, and he went into a coma for two days, and that was the end. And I remember when I got the call, because we got calls all the time, you know, over the course of my life, like he's in the hospital, we'll let you know what's going on. But when I got the call and it was like, you need to come here now, I knew like, oh, this is different than what has been before. And I remember standing in my kitchen and I I can't remember who I was talking to, but I called somebody, it might've been my therapist. And I was like, this is so different than what I thought it would feel like. And -hmm. she was like, what does it feel like? And I said, just nothing. It it just doesn't feel like anything. Like it's almost like it's so big that I just am thinking nothing about it. And I, I find that to be true for a lot of big moments in people's life. It's like, you think that it's going to be, you know, imagine this horrific surprise or shock or being scared or whatever. But oftentimes it's like, you're just in it. And I think your brain is just processing what comes at you at that moment at that time, because what else is there to do? I mean, you've never been, this is a new landscape. So, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense what you were saying. It's Yeah, or yeah, it's just, it, it's a reality that isn't changeable. Like it's oxygen or so it's it the color of my hair or. Yeah. Um, and you might've just also known that that was your truth. Like that's what you knew you were going to keep yeah. your daughter. You were going to be a mother. And so there was no wavering back and forth because that was, that was it. Yeah. And I was really excited. I was Aww. really excited um, beyond the sort of like immediate stressors. Mm-hmm. I was really excited and adults that were older than me were very, very worried and mm-hmm. I know why, but um, yeah. And I had been behaving incredibly self-destructively and wildly leading up to that moment. So whether it was like a breaking point or a wake up call or it never felt as heavy as that but it definitely was like that where it's something's gonna happen it's a total game changer here it is um how has it been being pregnant again 12 years later 13 years later totally different because i'm no longer as naive and optimistic about (laughs) life so not um not completely opposite anyway i'm not but it is heavier and more serious Mm -hmm. to just sort of know what it is gonna take and know it's hard to explain again but it's very different. But that's so it's interesting. Very, very different. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because before you were on your own. I mean, you were saying this this time around. It's like someone wants to go with you to the checkups and all of that stuff. And it's like, and yet the more of the responsibility and heaviness is there. And yet the situation itself is better. Yeah. Totally. Um, so you know, it's it's just life, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's nothing is ever what it seems, and and we always find ways to kind of dink around and make it more complicated Um, oh yeah how about physically uh well I was sick the whole time with my first daughter I was sick the whole pregnancy and just miserable I hated being pregnant and um I hated it and I was sick the whole time and I was in like school full time (laughs) and she was preterm so she was six weeks early so this time around I was really sick for the first three months and now it's stopped. So that is weird <laughs> and <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and and I'm just older. I'm older and I can feel it. And I don't think that I could go to school full time 
now and do the things I was doing. And I have that sort of pregnant woman walk. And (laughs) when I was 22, I was just a lot more spry. Um, And right now, I weigh more than I ever did with my first pregnancy. And I'm bigger than I ever was with my first pregnancy. But I'm only five months right now. My gosh, you think you were – because you're not big right now. You were tiny with your daughter. Yeah. Wow. 22. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> that metabolism, man. I know. <laughs> so now you are getting your master's. Mm-hmm. I graduated. I finished. Don't have it. I have my master's. You have your master's. I am and you are, a master. And you are a master. And you are a counselor. Mm-hmm. What grades is it? Well, I just finished up the school year. So I was doing elementary school and I was doing middle school. Okay. What are the two biggest problems that you had to deal with oh my god let's say not from the school itself right. but like children you don't want to talk about the california public school system um <laughs> yeah that'll be its own and episode. the resources that are available and not available not available i would say with the elementary school kids the biggest problem well i should pre- preface this by saying that both of the populations i was working with were in the very low income um socioeconomic status of the world and so resources available on all sides are less so so the biggest problem were were kids that in the let me think in the elementary school it was children who were not learning or behaving within the system the way it's set up because that's just maybe not going to be the best for them so what they needed were it was a different kind of learning and a different kind of environment and a different kind of structure, but that is not available. So, so where do they go? They go to counseling with me and they otherwise get reprimanded a lot for misbehaving mm-hmm. and being, and they get labeled and they get sent to the principal. And so it's tough. It was not fun. <laughs> it was not yeah. happy making. That's what I want to say. It was, it was a sobering reality a lot more than, so that would be if I had a magic wand and I could change everything. And otherwise, they just kids just need to be seen. They just need to be seen and heard and talked to and appreciated and, you know, rewarded for the smallest achievements and acknowledged for their ma- what they master, whatever that is. Have you heard this organization called City Year? Do you know of them? Mm-mm. They do the – I only know because we got invited this year to go to a, a fundraiser for them through NBC and – they have counselors that that sit in the schools and basically take on a you know a smaller group of kids in the classroom and kind of help them and mentor them and it was really they showed like a video it was really touching i think a lot of times you go to some of those things and you're just like it's you know this is the the everyone's showing up and putting on happy faces but this was one of those things that actually felt like oh wow these people are really making a difference um and they were interviewing some of the kids that went through the system and how um one guy that they highlighted, he his mom, a kid. It was a, not a guy. He was a, you know an eleven year old child who was in school and just failing miserably. And his mom broke down in the p- teacher parent conference and just said, I, "I'm single and I don't know what to do." And this counselor decided he was going to make it his mission, and he just turned this kid around just by being there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, it's so heartbreaking because you think about the fact that like there are so many people that are just struggling to put food on the table for their families and they they can't be the parent that's you know earning and the parent that's there supporting 
their child. So these kids get totally neglected and they expect them to be in a school system that's at least going to help them and support them in that way. And they're not. And it's sad, but it was it was very uplifting because it was really this. These people are really making a difference. It was very cool. Very cool organization. We need more of that. Yeah. And all you know, and it's too bad that all of the schools can't or don't have access to all of them. Whether that means that they haven't contacted the school or the school hasn't reached out for but, counselors, yeah, yeah. that every single um, school my sister in law three thousand more. Hi, Haley. Shout out to my sister in law, Haley, who listens. She doesn't have a child yet, but she listens, and um, she's a counselor at an inner city Detroit uh, school, and that is like not to be religious, but it's the Lord's work, man. I mean, what you guys are doing is incredible. Um, and full disclosure, in. I probably won't be going back to the school system next year because it is so hard. It is so hard and so draining. So the people that can do it and sustain it are a whole like, different beast breed of people yeah. that I mm-hmm. um, admire. But I think that at this point in my life, I had to st- I have to step back with the amount of energy it was draining for me, just emotionally, physically. I can, I can only imagine. And by the way, my husband and I were saying after that fundraiser, we were saying like, I mean. There's a lot of a lot of organizations where you go and you see what they do, and it's good. And and I'm not gonna poo poo upon anybody that's out there trying to make the world a better place through whatever former means they see fit. But after this one, it was like this is something that truly could change the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. You're taking kids that would just probably end up on the streets or worse, incarcerated. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and and. I think that's kind of it's one of like the keys, isn't it? It's like our kids coming through and not not being able to even access their true potential because they're because they're neglected and left behind and you know and no one listens to them and no one knows and they don't know how to access their feelings or how to deal with them appropriately. Yeah. I mean that feels like for my sister in law a lot of the stuff she ends up doing is about like anger and like how to manage it and like, you know, she was making it was so cute she was making these like putting glitter in these bottles of water and you shake it up we made those and it's like so cute and silly (laughs) but it's like because kids don't know how to so what is it what is the thing with that we did a thing where you if you were feeling angry you could shake it up and then you had to take deep breaths for as long as it took for the glitter to settle yeah that's good. Wow. Maybe we should make those for moms. <laughs> well, you know, they use, I mean, that's a very similar thing to how they use to teach uh, meditation to kids. Mm-hmm. And the they... bubble blowing is a big thing too. Oh, they yeah. Have them blow bubbles blow to bubbles learn out. how to just breathe. Yeah. Because meditation, oh. they'll say, like, they'll they'll show uh, a glass of water and they'll say, this is the natural state of your brain. And then they put in dirt and then they mix it all up and they say this is what happens when you get overwhelmed or your thoughts get mm. too powerful and and what happens when we just sit the glass down and we let the water settle and the mud all falls to the bottom and then the water is clean and that's that is the most basic sense of uh not basic sense but basic informational way to teach what meditation is capable of doing yeah it's you know we, we've been touring preschools and it's really interesting because I like bawled through one of my preschool tours because it was so special and it was such a special place. And I just like, I thought I could like hide behind the other parents and because I obviously was trying to be discreet because I felt really stupid that I was crying. And the woman who's like leading the tour goes like, 
are you okay? And I was just like, and Mike, Michael hadn't even seen that I was crying. And I I'm sorry. I just, I'm a really emotional person. And it just is so touching to me. And later on, she came up to me and she said, you know, what, what was it about it? And I said, you know, I think it's just that I wish I had gone to a place like mm-hmm. this when I was a kid. And by the way, I want to first say like, I had a fantastic childhood and I had, I had the best school that could have been offered to me at that point. I was very, very fortunate in that way. But I think there's, this is just the next level of understanding kids needs and their need to create and play and be recognized and heard. And, you know, and I think we all want that. So kudos to you. And I totally get having to like step away and maybe there'll be some other, you know, reincarnation of that for you later on down the road. Yeah, absolutely. That would be, so, that would but be then, great of me. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Magpie Life? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. So Magpie Life is sort of my next adventure as I move away from being in school and and working within the, the elementary and middle schools and working with young women as a counselor because I also was I also see an adult caseload um, at an office. So basically Magpie Life is um, it's designed around the idea that there are so many people in Los Angeles, especially, and maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just because I'm in Los Angeles, so I get to see them, but who we get thrust into this sort of adult world, but we don't know how to be adults. So there's this whole population of people trying to figure it out, but don't know where to turn and don't have resources. And essentially that that is the basis of it. Um, it has a lot to do with being in, being a counselor and having so many young adults come to me and their acting career isn't turning out to be the way that they had had imagined and they might be 30 one day and that's really freaking them out mm-hmm. <laughs> and men and women and they don't know what to do and they still depend on their parents which is not a bad thing but they have feelings around it and and just trying to explore with them what else what do they want to do or what makes them happy or what kind of person do they want to be and I just get I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So Magpie Life is about trying to create an environment for people that gives them a little bit more of a context for figuring that stuff out. And it's a group, right? Yeah. So, and- so yeah. So what I did in the fall was I created um, like an eight-week program, system, session, whatever you want, a workshop where you could come to my house and I had like a theme for every night and a woman who had however much experience in whatever topic that was like a little more than maybe everybody else had would come and like talk about it for 45 minutes and then there was just kind of a time to hang out. So the workshop was for women um, and we did, I had a chef come and just talk about what do you eat and how do you shop and how do you cook and she did a a cooking lesson. I had this woman, Kelly McMullen of Wild Women, Wild Woman Wisdom, who's amazing and she really believes in changing the world by educating women about their menstrual cycles. And you'd be amazed how many women have no idea what's going on inside their bodies physically and then how that affects them energetically, how it affects them spiritually, how it might be affecting them and what's going on with the moon and the ocean if you want to get really deep into it. Was it yesterday there was a new full moon or something? I don't know. I went to yoga. (laughs) I just wanted to share with everyone I went to yoga. Um, (laughs) No, she said something about a full moon and that we should all be more restful or who knows. But I yeah I gotta look up this minstrel well, thing. I, I mean, tell you we know what, what happened. Everyone in my before, family but... slept great last night, so oh, maybe that maybe that's, maybe that's all it is. You're just supposed to sleep. I did some, so I talked about I talked a lot about I I 
I did a self-experiment in my 20s where I decided that in order to learn how to date, I needed to stop dating. So I did a year of total total dating celibacy. And that turned into three years. And that that was like a kind of a life-changing experience. So I talked about that. And it's not about like, so now everybody, now we all have to be celibate for a year. But it was just about how do you get to know yourself? How do you sift through all the complications of the young people dating? I call it a man fast. Yeah. Yeah. Or a woman fast. I did a man fast. But I I did a man fast. I didn't didn't do three years. Did you really? I did three months. And at literally, I know, that's that's as much as I can do. You had less work to do. (laughs) (laughs) Three months, baby, to your three years. Summer off. I did. A season. In Ayurveda, yes. a season is what could be mm-hmm. necessary to to actually make progress in in one direction or another. So, a season. Well, it's often just about setting the intention. A hundred percent, yeah. And and I met my husband literally day ninety two. Yeah, after right after. Mm. Actually, I had already met him, but we we went out on our first date right after the man fast because so. he was he had so he was so aroused by the fact that like he couldn't have you yeah. during the man fest. <laughs> this it was like the ultimate the game right? or whatever. Not the game. Uh, uh, whatever. What's the yeah. thing? You gotta like man game. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. The rules. The rules. The rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we talked about that, and we talked about also having goals and breaking them down into day-by-day things a lot about just like instead of this overwhelming idea that my life will be better when I'm famous when I'm in it when I'm married when it all changes when I'm 30 when to just like okay but what is it that we can do today to get you closer to being the person you want to be so that's what we did that's magpie life so where does the name come from magpies the bird are a few there's a few things about the magpie bird but um they collect shiny things Mm -hmm. and I guess people on the east coast know this more but so magpie they love shiny things they're known for collecting marbles and rings and earrings and tinfoil and ribbons whatever they find when they're flying around and their nests are made of these like beautiful treasures that Mm -hmm. they've made and so I used to have a blog called magpie list that was about collecting things that inspired you whether it was a book or a movie or a music and so it was called Magpie List. Like, what's your mag? What's your magpie made of? What is your? What is it that you go around collecting that's made you who you are today? And that was a lot about being in my twenties and being a single mom and feeling really uneducated and behind in things. Everybody was talking about all this stuff, and I was like, Oh my god, I haven't read anything in this many years, and I don't even know what's cool anymore. So, what is it for you? And they would, people would give me lists, and I would try it out and then write about it. Wow. So then it was like, Okay, well, how else can we expand this to make it? What else makes your life more fulfilling? Right. You know, they say that, I don't know who they are, but they say this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know them. Yes. <laughs> that, you know, uh, at, around the age of five, whatever it is that you're really, really interested in, it will tend to relate to what you could potentially end up doing with your life. What, the, what would make you happy? That by mm-hmm. around age five is the first five years, those things that you're really intermeshed mm-hmm. in, which is interesting because my mom became a nurse and uh, around the age three, four, five, she was taking care of all of her brothers and sisters because mm-hmm. she was the oldest of six mm-hmm. kids. I was putting on plays, mm-hmm. always put on plays and skits, and we would have like little performances at our house. So it's kind of yeah interesting to think about. I was always writing little stories. Really? And 
doing a lot of choreography, but not dancing currently. But I did, I, I think I shared once that I found my, I have my elementary school journal and in third grade, I said what I was going to do. And then the winter, I was going to live on a farm in a yellow house and I was going to write children's stories and plays. And then the other season, I would go into the city and I would put on the plays oh, that I had written. I love that's that That's my life. dream in third grade. I love it. I, I, I That's think, only because podcasting didn't invent, wasn't invented. Yeah, yet. exactly. Well, neither had the I, internet. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that we have a lot more clarity about who we are and what we want to do when we're younger, and then yes. a lot of stuff gets piled up on top of that, and we kind of forget. What did you want to be? I don't know. I did you like writing when you were younger? Yeah, I always really liked writing, but I never thought I'd. I, being a writer, I think, wasn't flashy enough <laughs> for me. I think I always uh-huh. – and I, can't, I came from a very, like, chaotic childhood. And I think I think I was looking for things that would get me seen. Right. So I think probably at 10 it was like I'll be a dancer and a singer or something. But, mm-hmm. but I also – I know I went through a firefighter cop postman <laughs> phase, <Awesome>. you know. <laughs> like, I know I went through that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be a vet. Yeah, I think my daughter at one point wanted to be a vet or a hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? She got the animal. Like, she loved animals. That was was what she Whether I help them or kill them. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, she clearly didn't understand (laughs) concept, Uh, but. Well, and what is your, what do you find is your biggest challenge in we actually asked this of a guest uh, a couple podcasts what do you find is your is your biggest challenge in being a parent uh and staying true to yourself Mm. especially now that you're pregnant again and embarking on a new journey that's so interesting because i was gonna before i understood what your question was gonna be i was gonna say the biggest challenge is staying true to yourself as a parent (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah Um, why then? Just yeah, why? I think it's always it's always a challenge to find the balance between what you want to do and what's best for everybody. And and I do not have the secret formula for how that is at all. Well, thank God. Because yeah, <laughs> we don't, don't know the recipe, the but I uh, but I do know that it's a challenge, and I do, and I also know that it often gets to be that we're all just doing the best we can and I'm doing the best that we can. And tomorrow is a new day and we can try again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for yes. your honesty and your writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll post those. They're really funny too. I love the single oh, mom list. Oh like, yeah. I want to read it. Oh God. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not a single mom, but I'm still relating, I which think, also I feel I like it's like not lot. even true. Or I'm still laughing, but one of the things you mention is like that if you don't, you dare say like if your husband's out of town for the weekend, don't say that that you can relate because it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bless all the hearts of the women that have said that to me. Well, they mean and, well, and also thank you just for all the the rock star stuff you do, and in, in terms of helping people and helping people find their way and their purpose. And I think like you know it it does seem like big flashy change is very popular nowadays and you know the things that are can go viral and you know I think we we really tend to forget about how big of an impact it can be to just help somebody find out 
themselves and, and their path and where they want to go and what they want to do. So we'll be right back. We're back. We're back. All right, let's wrap this puppy up, huh? Yes. Do you want to do mom bomb or mom session first? I will take a mom session. Do it. Okay. I found a really great t-shirt. I'm very excited about it. It's a graphic tee. And on it, it says naps every single day. And it's $28. I found it at Nordstrom's. But it's by uh, Madison and Berkeley. I love that, you know, we can all aspire. <laughs> putting, the, putting the positivity out day. there. Yeah. Um, okay, you guys, for our, my mom bomb, I'm just going to do something fun because let's uh, change it up a little bit. I have this great book called Live in Wonder, Quest Quotes and Questions to Jumpstart Your Journey. Um, and a friend, dear friend gave it to me. And so I'm going to flip and Ellie's going to say stop and we're just going to read whatever that is for okay. the mom bomb. Ready, yeah, set, yeah. go. What could you achieve in life if you decided to become totally and blissfully impervious to hostile criticism and rejection? Say it again. What could you achieve in life if you decided to become totally and blissfully impervious to hostile criticism and rejection? It's a good one for us, I feel like. I love that. Yeah. Good pick, Ellie. I did well. I'm proud of you. Yeah, what's the name of that book again? Live in Wonder, Quest, Quotes, and Questions to Jumpstart Your Journey by Eric Saperston. Uh, or Saperston, however. It's good. Good stuff. Um, okay. okay, guys. We love you lots. Love you. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Leave reviews. Like us on Facebook. They should change that. They should be like, join us on Facebook. The stupid like thing is annoying to me. Or even have options to do more like love to obsess oh, yeah. about us on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom says about us on Facebook. Uh, okay, guys. <gasps> Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic, Atomic Moms. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.